Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome to Know Your Bible. We're glad you're back with us this week as we try to answer some of your questions uh, that we've received in past weeks. And that's what we do on this program is answer questions from our viewing audience. You'll notice we have a phone number, a website on the screen all the time. You can use that anytime to get in touch with us. And we'd like to know what you'd like us to talk about on Know Your Bible. We want people to understand their Bibles better. And we think uh, one of the best ways to do that is just answer a few questions each week and uh, help you see how to study the Bible. So that's what we do. Let me introduce my uh, partner here, Toby Levering. Good morning, Toby. Good morning, Steve. I'm glad you're back and ready to go. We got some good questions from uh, the folks saved up, but uh, we always start with a question for the audience. So let me give you that one. Uh, what age was Jesus when he began his ministry? When Jesus began preaching, uh, stopped being a carpenter, I guess, and began preaching. How old was he? And we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. See if you and your family know that little bit of Bible information. Toby, I think you drew the first one today, so you just get us rolling. Got a food question. All if you right. were asked the question, what did John carry his honey in? <laughs> well, that's kind of an interesting question. One of those questions I've never quite fully thought about. But uh, the Bible actually sort of alludes to it, I guess. Of course, the uh, honey uh, is a food that's been around since the beginning. The Bible mentions it many times. In fact, uh, the Israelites referred to the promised land as a land flowing with milk and honey. It was always, of course, a very sugary, sweet, and always, I'm sure, something they enjoyed as a dessert. But uh, the scriptures tell us that John enjoyed uh, honey as well. And uh, we've got some pictures of how people may have transported that and used that and uh, uh, carted it around in the past. And you can just, we'll just slide through these pictures here and you'll see different uh, references to, of course, getting the honey and retrieving the honey and how they stored it and may have used it in ancient days. But actually, the Bible really doesn't uh, say, uh, of course, you may not believe this, the Bible doesn't have a lot to say on uh, methods of honey transportation. Uh, but I think the verse that talks about John will give us some greater insight. Let's look at Matthew chapter 3, verse 4 together. John's clothes were made, of, were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. And I think it's that wild part that, uh, of course, John was a bit of a wild man himself. Uh, and I think this to me, as I read that, you know, John's living in the wilderness um, uh, and uh, probably has shelter out there. And that I think as he goes along and gets hungry, he, uh, you know, uh, forages whatever he can find. And I think that's probably what he did. He found an abandoned hive or maybe he uh, uh, somehow got the bees out of there and, and then just helped himself to the honey as he was able to, to find it as he went along. I don't think it was something he probably transported with him. But anyway, that's, uh, that's my best guess at it. But that's what the Bible says about John and his wild honey. That's a plenty good guess, I'll tell you. <laughs> 
when I first read that one, I thought everybody knows how you keep your honey, you keep it little yellow bear with the that's flip just, top the cap on him with the, <laughs> the honey bears where you keep that. All right, let's take a little more serious one here maybe. In uh, different Bible translations, why are some words spelled differently? <clears throat> well, I don't know exactly uh, what our viewer is referring to. Within one translation, uh, for instance, this is a New International Version I brought this morning. Uh, within it, there shouldn't be any words spelled differently. Uh, a word ought to be spelled the same all the way through the, the whole book. Uh, maybe what they're talking about is they've got uh, an older translation and a newer translation. Uh, age, of course, or when it was translated makes a big difference. King James was translated in 1611. Uh, this NIV was translated in 1974. Uh, we spell a lot of words differently uh, after three, four hundred years there. So maybe that's what they're talking about is they've got two translations and they see a word spelled one way in one and one in the other. And the other possibility is uh, they've got two translations that are pretty close to the same age, uh, but they come from a different translating committee. For instance, some Bibles are translated uh, by a worldwide committee. Uh, some have been translated by more of an English or British committee, <clears throat> and some by United States scholars and all of that. Well, different countries spell words differently. Uh, we in the British spell words differently. Color, uh, they put an extra U in color, I guess is the way you would say it over there. Uh, theater, they switch E and R around. So maybe that's what our viewer is talking about. But within one translation, words ought to be spelled the same. Uh, mm -hmm. But all translations, age, consider that, and who translated it. So those are my best guesses on that question. Um, Got a name question. All right. Take on the name here. <laughs> Viewer asked the question, where does it say in the Bible that God changed Saul's name to Paul? Well, uh, this viewer is very astute. Of course, the Apostle Paul has, is probably the most familiar name by which we know him, and he wrote much, much, much of the New Testament. Uh, of course, his name was also Saul, and we read of this in uh, Acts chapter 12 and also Acts chapter 13. It, there never at a point comes in which, you know, God, you know, says, and now you shall call him Paul, uh, just that he was also called Paul. And so we, we know that he had two names, and that <coughs> seems kind of odd to us. I think uh, it had to do with his uh, heritage. Of course, Paul was uh, a, a, an Israelite, a Jew, uh, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as he would say. Uh, and so, of course, he had his Jewish name, but he was also a Roman citizen. And so that meant that he had some sort, probably his uh, uh, father was a, a Roman or something. And so he would have had sort of a dual citizenship is kind of how we might think of it today. Uh, we read uh, the story of the conversion of Saul in Acts chapter 9. And, of course, uh, there in the house of Ananias, uh, he, he was blind and, and he was uh, understanding he had done some, made some mistakes. And uh, then, of course, he just, you know, said, you know, decided he was ready to be baptized and put on Christ. And then at, at that point, he becomes a missionary to the Gentiles. And so it makes sense to me that he would tend to use his uh, Jew, uh, Roman name to 
you know, reach out to those who didn't have Jewish heritage. Uh, I'm sure he was probably called by both names and perhaps had Jewish friends who, who called him Saul. <coughs> I, I think either name probably would have been fine. But Paul's the name we know him by because most of us, as we read, most of us are Gentiles. Um, but there's really no reason given in Scripture other than uh, we can surmise maybe that that would have been helpful <coughs> to him as his, in his mission work to the Gentile people. Let's read Acts chapter 13, verse 9 together. Uh, and this is where we get both names referenced. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, and it goes on to uh, um, give us more information there, but I just wanted to point out that the Scriptures does talk about both names, and <coughs> either are fine to use, but the Scripture okay. never sells, says that God said you had to choose one or the other. All righty. <coughs> Let me take this moment to talk about a good way to study the Bible. Uh, of course, that's what we do for 30 minutes, but we only get eight or nine questions in each week, and uh, that's not a whole lot of questions when you consider all the information and the wonderful wisdom that's in the Bible. So we advocate home Bible study, and we've got some free materials that we'll send to you so that you can study the Bible on your own. Uh, we are familiar with a lot of people that make their mind up, I'm going to read the Bible this year. A lot of people start on January 1st, and uh, by about January 10th, they're kind of worn out and they, they don't understand what they're reading and uh, they get bogged down and they stop. Well, that's one way to study the Bible, but there's other ways to study the Bible. And we think this is a good one that we have here. It's a series of eight lessons. And the first lesson is just about the Old Testament. You see that there on the left. And it introduces you to the Old Testament, helps you understand when it was written and who wrote it and what the major themes of it are. And then the second lesson is about the New Testament. So you get the, that real basic foundation laid, uh, and then you go into some other topics and the themes of the Bible. And then once you get through this first course, you'll understand the Bible a whole lot better. And then we've got more advanced courses that will lead you through a study of the life of Jesus and uh, lots of different topics. So uh, we, there's good ways to study the Bible, and we think some of our courses are some of the best. Uh, our viewers that have taken us up on this free offer uh, reinforce that. Tell us that uh, they really learned a lot about the Bible. So if you're interested, phone number, website are on the screen. Anytime use those. Just tell us you want that free course. We'll get it started for you and we think you'll probably like it. And you know you'll learn a lot about the Bible. All right, I got a question from one of our Baptist friends here. Uh, says, I was raised a Baptist and taught that we cannot lose our salvation. Uh, how can you lose your salvation? Well, we get a lot of questions about this and the uh, doctrine of once saved, always saved, as it's known. Uh, sometimes when I get it, I think, uh, if those of you that have seen the old movie Cool Hand Luke, I think that's the answer. Uh, well, what we got here is a failure to communicate. Uh, yeah, I think it's the word that we use. I think it's more of a matter of semantics than it is uh, some other things. For instance, uh, losing your salvation, when we say that, it sounds a little like that you can just be walking down the street and all of a sudden you can say, whoa, where'd my salvation go? You know, it's kind of like losing your pen or your pocket knife or something. You just lose it without knowing how. Uh, that's not the concept at all. Uh, we need to have a much better understanding of what we're talking about when we say uh, you're not once saved, always saved. Um, there are so many verses in the Bible about assurance 
and knowing that you're saved and being confident that you're saved. And we believe every one of those verses. We understand exactly what he's talking about. And we hope that we have that kind of confidence uh, and know that we're going to heaven and know that we can know we're going to heaven. Um, Nobody can take your salvation away from you is what some of those famous verses say. Uh, Paul says, nobody, no thing, no power, nothing in the universe uh, can take your salvation away from you. We believe every one of those verses. Now, having understand that, there's two things that we've got to add to the equation because the Bible does talk about them. And the first one is, let's look in 1 Corinthians 10, 12. There are a lot of warnings in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Okay, now, That's not the only verse like that. There's lots of verses that warn us that, yes, you're in Christ, you're saved, you ought to be confident and all that. But be careful that you don't fall. Watch out. So there's some warnings in there. And the second thing, let me show you a verse in 2 Timothy 4.10. Not only are there warnings, there are examples of people who did lose their salvation, if you want to use that term. Uh, Paul wrote to Timothy and said, Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Demas was a co-worker of Paul's. Obviously, he was a Christian. He was saved. Uh, I assume he was confident in his salvation at one point. But Paul says the world got to him. He got to thinking about the things he missed in the world, and he decided he loved the world more than he loved the things of God. And so he left Paul. He deserted him. He went back to the world. So not only are there warnings, they're examples. Uh, perhaps I said it was a matter of semantics. Now let me suggest this. Maybe if we use some different words like instead of lose your salvation, uh, what if we said you can forfeit your salvation? Uh, what if we said you can give up your salvation? You can forsake Jesus and go back to the world or to some other religion. And I think everybody knows examples like that. They've seen people, that, not many, but there are people that leave Christianity, uh, that get involved in sin and temptation and fall away and never come back to Jesus. So uh, we all know of that, uh, and that's what we're talking about, is be careful. Stay focused on Jesus. Keep trusting in Him. As long as you're trusting in Him and walking in the light, nobody can take your salvation away. You're not going to lose it accidentally. Uh, but if you get entrapped by the world, which the Bible also warns about, uh, you can forfeit it. You can give it up. So I hope that word uh, definition there helps us a little bit. Uh, yes, we believe that it's possible. We don't believe it's uh, probable. We don't believe it's something we got to lose sleep at night about. We just got to stay focused on Jesus and He'll take care of us. No, you're right. <laughs> uh, that's a good answer. The, uh, I'm reminded in John 6, John records that uh, after Jesus had taught hard teaching, many of His <clears throat> disciples turned and no longer followed Him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I think Scripture is clear on that, and you, you alluded to that. I mean, mm -hmm. it's about walking in the light, which, of course, is Jesus. And at any time, a person who chooses to follow Jesus can choose to not follow Jesus. And I, I think that's what we're saying, that, you know, we want to make sure that, you know, once you make that choice, you stick with that choice yeah. and, and, uh, <laughs> and, and stay faithful to the Lord. So. And I think basically <clears throat> everybody understands that. 
Uh, I think even uh, our Baptist friend that uh, has been taught once saved, always saved, uh, understands that. But there's a point where they, they think about examples of, oh yeah, I remember so-and-so. Uh, they were such a solid Christian mm -hmm. and did mm -hmm. so involved and all that. And then they got tempted by this and drawn away by this. I, I've counseled people that I say, mm -hmm. here's what mm -hmm. Jesus says you need to do. Well, I don't want to do that. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'd rather be happy. I'd rather do it my way. Mm -hmm. And they leave. They do their own thing. You know, yeah. so we're, we're familiar <coughs> with that. We know sure. that. So sure. I think everybody understands basically. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All yep, right. Good answer. Next question. All right. Uh, viewer asked the question. Uh, starts with the statement I am still resentful about my wife leaving me 20 years ago. When I die, will I be saved? Well, uh, I don't know your exact situation, so don't allow a three-minute answer to uh, uh, replace any, you know, if you need some good Christian counseling, that would probably um, be a good thing. Um, but uh, divorce, separation, uh, these are lifelong traumatic events. They leave a wound of the heart that stays with you your whole life. And even when it heals, there's still quite a scar. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of churches that uh, work with and counsel people through uh, divorce and trying to recover from that and uh, all the turmoil it causes, not just for the couple, but for families <coughs> and in-laws and everything. So I, I understand uh, the heartache you feel. And uh, I, I want you to understand that it is um, just one of the parts of receiving forgiveness from God requires that you be willing to be a vessel of forgiveness to others. And that's just part of the uh, condition of, of accepting God's free gift of eternal life. Now, your specific question was, when I die, will I be saved? And I can't answer that question. Uh, that's up to God, and, and I won't even try. But I will say that if you're 20 years out from uh, this horrific moment in your life and you're still carrying... Uh, the bitterness and the anger. Um, while I do understand that, and, and I think any reasonable person could, I, I do want it to encourage you uh, to stop carrying uh, a burden that the Lord didn't intend you to carry. Uh, it's hurting you. You can tell from just the tone of the question uh, that it's not making your life any better. And uh, I think the Lord wants better for you and uh, this is why he knows you've got to be able to <coughs> forgive uh, and to not, not just to receive the Lord's forgiveness, but to give that forgiveness to others. Um, scriptures are clear on this point. If you desire forgiveness from, from God, uh, you have to be able to give that forgiveness uh, to other people, uh, including your, your ex-spouse. Um, and uh, that's a difficult thing to do. But bitterness is not the answer. <laughs> Uh, someone once said, Bitter, bitterness is like swallowing poison and waiting for someone else to die. Uh, it's just going to hurt you, and it's really going to nestle down in your heart. It's going to affect your life, too. Uh, forgiveness, someone else said, is like setting someone free and realizing it was you. And I think that is uh, good to keep in mind. Uh, I hope that you'll begin to ask the Lord for help, uh, begin to seek counsel from a good church, and uh, just work through this. Um, at Northside, we have 
program called Celebrate Recovery, and, and they help people through situations like these. It's a very real thing, uh, but forgiveness is so necessary, not just necessary for salvation, it's just necessary to make your life better. You'll have so much more peace and contentment and joy, and you will find your joy again uh, if, you, if you will let it <clears throat> come to you. Uh, let's look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 11 and 12 together. Give us this day our daily bread as part of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts. Now, pay attention to this one small word, as we also have forgiven our debtors. The forgiveness we receive from the Lord is direct proportion to the forgiveness we give to others. So I think if you'll look in that direction, study <coughs> forgiveness in the scriptures, uh, it will help you and be a blessing to you and ultimately make your life better. I hope right. that helps. Good answer. All right, Jesus and angels and who's who here. Was Jesus the angel who appeared to Abraham before destroying Sodom and Gomorrah? <clears throat> well, Jesus is not an angel. Uh, so in this story uh, that you can read back in Genesis 18, the viewer wants to know, was Jesus uh, one of the ones that came and talked to Abraham? And he evidently came with two angels, the way the story is told. But let's make sure we know Jesus is not an angel. Now, uh, some stories in the Old Testament, particularly about God appearing to people, uh, use the term angels, and sometimes it just says men appeared, but it seems like they're angels, and, and not always clear there. But a lot of times it just says the Lord spoke or the Lord appeared. Uh, sometimes it's in, as a representative way. Uh, an angel spoke to somebody, but it was the Lord speaking. So uh, I'm just saying it's not always clear, but this one seems to be pretty clear. Uh, I think the way to figure it out is let's just read some of the scriptures and we'll piece and take a few pieces out of a bunch of scriptures in Genesis 18. So let's start with one and two. And it says, the Lord appeared to Abraham. Okay, that's Jehovah's personal name. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre, while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. Okay, there it calls them men. They looked like men. They had physical bodies. Then down in verse 1835, it says, the Lord left after speaking with Abraham. And then in the very next verse, it says the two angels went to Sodom. So if you read the whole story, the way it sounds is, <clears throat> uh, Abraham looked up, he saw three men, saw three bodies over there that looked like humans. And as he talked to them, it turned out that one of them was the Lord, evidently. Uh, God himself somehow, which as this viewer says, is probably Jesus appearing uh, in a bodily form. And after he was through speaking to Abraham, he left and then the two angels went on to Sodom. So uh, I think it's most likely, quite probable, uh, Jesus, I think, did have some pre-Bethlehem uh, appearances. Uh, he appeared in a bodily form to people representing the Lord. He was God, so he was the Lord. Uh, so I think if we read it that way, we can see pretty clearly that, yes, that probably was a pre-incarnate uh, appearance by Jesus. Okay, let me take this moment and invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. Churches of Christ are the folks who keep this program on the air and help us uh, be here each week to answer some of your questions. And we like to thank some of them each week. Today, let's talk about the Watermill Church of Christ in Springfield, Missouri. 
there are partners over there and have been since almost the very beginning of Know Your Bible. Uh, when we went into that market and began broadcasting from Springfield, uh, Watermill was our partner and helps us a lot over there and does a lot of the uh, phone answering and uh, grading correspondence courses and all of that. So there are partners over in that area and a great bunch of people. I know you'd enjoy meeting them and you'd be warmly welcomed if you dropped into the Watermill Church of Christ sometime. Of course, whatever region you live in and we broadcast in, uh, there's a Church of Christ near you. And uh, if you're looking for a church home, drop in and tell them you heard about them on Know Your Bible sometime. All right, got another one there, Toby. Yes, a uh, viewer has an officiation question, yes. <laughs> uh, does a person performing a wedding ceremony have to be licensed for the marriage to be legal in God's eyes? Well, that's <coughs> a question that sometimes you think about, especially uh, as a minister. Um, uh, I can tell you personally that it depends on the state. Every state is different. They have different... Uh, uh, requirements for officiants. Some people have to be ordained. Some have to have a letter of ordination some from their church. Uh, some people have to have a record in a, the county courthouse somewhere. Uh, and some states require nothing at all. Uh, nearly anyone can do it. And so I guess my simple answer would be, of course, God wants us to abide by the laws of the governing authorities and we need to do whatever is required there. But in terms of God's eyes, His greater concern is the covenant uh, made between the male and the female there. We get all caught up in the ceremony, of course, uh, and it's an important ceremony and not to diminish it at all. Uh, but the important part is the, the seriousness of which the man and the woman enter into covenant with one another. The Bible doesn't say anything about ceremonies or even legal requirements, uh, so we just have to good, use reason and common sense. Let's look at a verse from Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6. This is what Jesus said. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning of the, the Creator made the male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. And so this is our goal, to take marriage very seriously and, uh, and take the covenant seriously as well. All right, thank you, Tony. Viewer wants to know, is this taped or live? Is this Memorex <laughs> or not? And uh, <laughs> it is taped. We, uh, because of all the processing that we have to do with the show, getting closed captions on it and all that, it is taped. Uh, the way it works is we uh, receive questions during the program a lot and on the internet all, all sorts of times. Uh, I take those questions and make up a script, if you will, because we get a lot of duplicate questions. Uh, we don't want to answer those every week. Uh, we'll space them out, answer them every three or four months, perhaps. Uh, after we finish taping a show, we send that tape off to the folks that put closed captioning on it. So those of you that have hearing problems can read what we're saying. And they do a great job of getting it very accurate. I'll have to admit, they do a good job. Uh, they send copies out to all the markets we broadcast in, and then they broadcast it on the proper day. So it uh, varies a little bit. We're usually at least a month off. Uh, what we're taping right now probably won't show for at least a month, six weeks, something like that. Um, so that's how it works. Uh, I don't think it makes a whole lot of difference. We still answer the questions as quickly as we can and then the order we get them and try to keep up with them. 
and we always give you a written answer. If you give us your name and address, we'll get it to you immediately, or that week at least, uh, pretty close. So that's the way the program operates, and we think that's the best way to do it, and uh, helps us get the closed captioning on there. All right, we're out of time for questions today, but we got a trivia question to answer yet, and uh, that one was, what age did Jesus begin his ministry? And the answer is very clear. In Luke chapter 3, it says he was about 30. So he was about 30 years old when he began preaching publicly. We're glad you've been with us today. We hope you come back next week as we answer some more of your questions on Know Your Bible. Till then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.